Sand Hill had one of the largest black populations in Cumberland County, and the con concentration of skilled laborers, educators, musicians, cooks, millwrights, entrepreneurs, blacksmiths, farmers, and tradespeople were second to none. That was Darlene Strong, the guest on today's podcast. Stay informed, get involved. Welcome to the Great Amber's Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Cameron. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm so, so happy. I'm so pleased to be joined today by um, Dr. Darlene Strong. Uh, Darlene has been, for the last 20 years, learning about researching, sharing, disseminating, teaching about the African Nova Scotian community that she grew up in, in Amherst and in Cumberland County. She's been creating exhibits. She's been publishing documents. She's been capturing this information and working to share it. Darlene reached out to me uh, last week and wanted to come on and talk about some of the history of our community and of Amherst and the African Nova Scotian community that lived here. Uh, in February, uh, she put together an exhibit about the historic Sand Hill Trail in Amherst, which is, well, we'll get into the specifics of where it is. And it captured a lot of the important people and a lot of the important places and landmarks for the African Nova Scotian community in town. Uh, so we talked a lot about this. We covered a lot. She told us about a lot of the different people that played major roles. Uh, Dr. Fred Parsons was a name that came up a lot. He helped design a lot of the streets. And he was a, uh, an engineer that did a lot of work in town. We covered a lot in this uh, conversation. Darlene's done a lot of research. She knows knows a lot about our community. And I hope um, she, she'll come back on and talk with me some more. Uh, she mentioned that this exhibit on the historic Sand Hill Park will be at Ottawa House when it reopens. Uh, there's also a lot of topics that came up that I would love to learn more about. So this this is definitely a topic I'm going to keep working on over the, over the next you know six, eight, twelve months. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this episode with Darlene. I know I did. And if you're enjoying our local episodes and local content, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. That way you won't miss an episode again. And now here's our interview with Darlene Strong. Welcome back, everybody, to the Great Amherst podcast. Uh, I'm so happy and pleased today to be joined by um, Dr. Darlene Strong from DM Strong Health and Wellness. Uh, Darlene, for over the last 20 years, has been doing research, development, and dissemination of art, music, liter and literature that features, that feature, sorry, local and global Black history. So thank you, Darlene, for coming in. Thank you uh, for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here today. I said a while ago that uh, as part of awareness in Black Lives Matter and with these protests coming up, that I don't know a lot about uh, the local history of um, African Nova Scotians, and that I wanted to learn more about it. And that's why Darlene's here. So in February, um, Darlene had created, created an exhibit about the historical Sand Hill Trail uh, in Amherst that was at um, the Cumberland Museum. Uh, it's not there right now. It's a traveling exhibit. And she'll tell us more about where it is later on. But um, Darlene, let's start there. What what is the historical Sand Hill Trail? Well, the historical Sand Hill Trail is a self-guided walking, driving, bicycle trail located in the highlands of Amherst, Nova Scotia, which overlooks beautiful downtown Amherst. 
And this trail, it helps to commemorate the early settlers who were not permitted to purchase homes in the downtown sector, and they were encouraged to, um, uh, to develop their life and livelihood on Sand Hill. Yeah, this is the first time I'd heard of the phrase Sand Hill or even the highlands of Nova Scotia. So uh, what part of Amherst are we talking about? Where is it? Well, uh, well, what we'll do, when um, we'll look at when it was established first, sure, and then sure. that can lead into um, what part we're looking at. So the research that I've done revealed that during the onset of the 1800s, Sand Hill had one of the largest black populations in Cumberland County, and the con- concentration of skilled laborers, educators, musicians, cooks, millwrights, entrepreneurs, blacksmiths, farmers, and tradespeople were second to none. And further re- research could be obtained from the local museum or cans or my publication on Sand Hill. And the trail itself, it, it encompasses like the general boundaries from Albion Street down by Doug Pauley's mm-hmm. up to Willow Street Extension. Yep. And then you could go down East Pleasant Street to Poplar and back to South Albion Street. Now, in the confines of that perimeter, you'll find like Church Street um, and all the little side streets, uh, Central Avenue, Bellevue Avenue, all those are um, enclosed in Sand Hill. Okay. So so the whole area is almost like from, like you said, from where Doug Polly's is on South Albion. Up to the mall. Up up to the mall. Yes, and you'll see a sign there um, that says, Welcome to Amherst. So it's in that area, in that general area. And, uh, and you, We're talking a big area of town. Huge. Yeah. And, uh, and it would extend even a little bit. Uh, some of the blacks even lived out going out towards the hospital. And then if you cut across to Willow Extension, um, there's, you know, properties there uh, that were owned by blacks. And then you come in to where the new high school is and you cut the corner and come back down East Pleasant Street and back down to South Albion. But Dickie Brook seems to be um, an unofficial boundary line as well. <laughs> so what are some... What are some important buildings or landmarks that are on or were on the trail? Well, the important buildings, um, depending on who you are, it determines what important looks like. So we say the trail is yours to discover, but exploring the past, formerly known as the Highland, is now home to the Golden Mile, which is Albion Street, where all the industry is. Mm-hmm. And years ago, that was Farmland, all of which overlook beautiful downtown Amherst. And the trail will take you past the homes of politicians and preachers, midwives and masonry workers, sports figures, the stagecoach stop, churches, one-room schoolhouses, and much more. And these reflect significant landmarks in the predominant black community. And along the trail, you'll find the former stagecoach stop, which was owned by Mr. Doug Gay, and he's the Rock's great uncle. You'll find the East Pleasant Street School that Edwin Cook uh, owns this present day. And, and there was an integrated school, too, interesting enough. And Dickie Park hosted the Gypsies and their colorful music and their clothing and pens and pots and so forth. Then you have the cemetery, which is well utilized, and the former Amy Church, the stadium, the museum, and much more. Yeah. So where was where was the coach or the stagecoach? That's at the corner of uh, the corner of... Oh my goodness! It's up by the high school, the corner of Willow and East Pleasant Street. 
was the original stagecoach stop, and it was um it was a large large dwelling at one time, and now it looks like a single unit home. Is it that orange house? Like, is it that? The orange house. It used to be black, and then it was in the forties, I believe, early fifties. It was painted black, and then Mister Gay painted it white. Okay. And he had, uh, and they used it as a rooming house and um, apartment when I was growing up in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. But prior to that, it was a stagecoach stop, and you could get a a, a night's nice lodging and a bite to eat and uh, a bed. And then you'd be on to your, wherever you had to go, like on to New Brunswick River. And I believe the stagecoach came there twice a week, if I'm, if my research is correct. It came from Halifax twice a week, but it'd be certainly a dusty drive, wouldn't it? Oh, geez, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't quite have the same paved, paved roads <laughs> going no through there. No paved roads, no street, right, and no street lights. And I don't know if you've ever gone down the Willow Street Extension Hill, but it's all curves. Mm. so uh it really is something to consider yeah to go and yeah doing that trip in on the trail. stagecoach so do you know was there like would there have been a blacksmith shop like close by yes it was at the yes it was at the top of church street i believe um there's um it's right across from the bicycle shop now right and that was run by a, a black gentleman yeah yeah it's but the people that were here were very skilled people. Now, like for my dad, 1947, he was one of the ones that started the waste management in in Amherst. And in, in 1947, people used to burn their garbage, and he would uh, bring the ashes from different places like the Bank of Nova Scotia and so forth. And that helped build the sidewalks on Rupert Street and some of the other streets in town that laid the foundation for it. And, uh, and with the waste management, you can see now... It's so lucrative and it's government owned and I'm saying that kindly, but, um, <laughs> but my dad and I, there was a couple of other gentlemen that started garbage businesses as well and uh, build up good businesses, good, strong business. And in fact, Edwin is still running the family business, uh, in, um, in 2020. So it speaks for itself. They're visionaries. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So on the trail though, like we'll go back to the trail. There's, um, what are some other important landmarks like from the trail that, that like no longer exist? Well, growing up in the fifties, I remember Percy Allen had a boarding home on East Pleasant street and he was all, he and his wife were beekeepers and the prominent trees were a great place to sit and rest your feet, have a chat. Uh, you know, I have a little soda pop or something <laughs> from Edgar Chapman's store and now uh, Edgar Chapman's store was the place to go. It was, um, owned by, um, another gentleman prior to that. And I mean, all the kids congregated there, the adults congregated there. Where was Chapman's store? Um, it was Edgar, I know Edgar Chapman owned the store. It was up by the, uh, right across from the graveyard. Okay. And I was just trying to think of the gentleman's name. If you give me one minute, there was, um, before Mr. Chapman owned it, uh, it was known as the, um, E.T. Hunter's store, and that's where the black people would congregate and catch up on the news, weather, and sports. And you said that was the, eight, and, was the 1800 store. Yes, and the E.T. Hunter's store is now the bicycle shop up at Upper Church Street. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, 
I kind of remember it being uh, like a convenience store at one point when I was growing up. Yes, George. Yes, because George Baker, he also had that um, operated as a um, store as well. Mm-hmm. And people liked to go there because it was friendly and it was a place to meet, a safe place to meet. Yeah. And you could chit chat. So, so it goes so back forth. a long way. It does. Now, the other, some of the homesteads are all gone and they've given way to urban development like the Johnny Davison homestead in back of the stadium. Johnny Cook property was next to um, uh, that property, I believe. And the Hollandview Hospital is no longer there. We have a new uh, hospital on the outskirts of town. And some of the businesses, like the blacksmith shops, are no longer present. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're talking about the old hospital, is so it was always called the Highland View Regional Hospital. Is that Correct. where... The Highland came from? I never really thought about it. Well, it's part of Highland. It was built in 1904, and um, the land was donated by R.B. Dickey, and the hospital, as I said, was built in 1904 at the cost of $20,000. And because of a typhoid fever outbreak, that's what initiated the hospital, but it's right at the corner top of the hill on Charles Street. Mm -hmm. And it had two wards, a children's ward, 11 private wards, 10 doctors, five nursing graduates and it was part of it was destroyed by fire in 1928. Hmm. But then, then we had another Hollandia Regional Hospital after that. And in the sixties and I worked at the newer Highlandview hospital for seven years. So uh, it's good history. Yes. I was going to say, I remember. Well, nice to be able to work. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think I was born in the, it would have been the new one. I mean, I was born 81. So yeah, that would have been the newer Highland View. Regional hospital. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if somebody wants to go out and experience the trail now, how can they, how can they do that? Well, they can put their boots on or they can get in their automobile or get on a bicycle and they can follow the sidewalk around the perimeters where I mentioned, or they can um, go in and out of the side streets and uh, kind of curl in and out. Uh, and it's very interesting. And, well, the, with the exhibit, there's uh, free booklets and free brochures. So as I said, it's self-guided. People can, um, you know, do the trail. They can walk. We see a number of people going by Edmund's house here, and it's nice to see uh, people on the trail, and we do chat with some of the people. And it's uh, very enlightening because they say they never knew this history. So that's why it's important to document it and share it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, so a couple more questions on this is I'm just wondering, like, how is the trail and the people who built it important to the town and important to our community? Well, um, there are more than two people that were instrumental. It's, it would be a community effort for sure. Mm-hmm. And even the town was involved because they hired a Mr. Fred Parsons, who was a black engineer from Amherst, and he carved out the street, some of the streets. And they tell me that it was narrowly rough terrain and he would take a little crew of men. He built Church Street, as you can see, right straight up. He built the cemetery, some of the parks, some of the prominent homes in Amherst. He he, uh, designed their their lawns and their landscape. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's two things. The trail defines that there was a vibrant black community here early on Mm -hmm. and that we're still here. So that's, why it's very important and plus the town for the town to hire a black engineer uh 
speaks for itself too. What time frame would that have been? I think it's 1849. If I, if my records are correct. Um, okay. No, he was born in 1847. So no, it would be a little later than that. But, but still um, 1870s at the earliest. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and it's not like they had excavators or backhoes. Nope. <laughs> this was all done by hand. Very yeah. manual labor. Yeah. You said his name was Mr. Fred Parsons. Yes. And he, Brian Martin owns the Parsons property, uh, this current present day. It's on Poplar Street. And it's okay. lovely. It was a stately home at the time. And uh, with the stained glass windows. Now, one of the people that lived in the home, um, took me across the street one day and showed me even the stained glass windows that they remember from childhood. Mm. And that, that person is still alive. It's a lady. And she went to the one room schoolhouse on Christie street that was also integrated. So um, this was a few months ago. So it was quite, quite a treat to have somebody that was actually living back then able to, you know, share that information with, with us. Yeah. It's, I think you said earlier on, it's it's so important to capture these stories now, even just, you know, her remembering those stained glass windows and those things are just, there's a lot of value in just getting and keeping and knowing those, those stories. Exactly. Yeah. And so what else can you tell us about the trail in this part of town that other people may not, may not know? Well, the, the fact that the black community were still here, but, so much has changed. Um, it's turned almost into a senior citizen um, complex, you'll mm-hmm. say, for lack of a better word. But uh, And that's fine because it's certainly a nice atmosphere. It's quiet and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And interesting that the Blacks were not permitted to buy property downtown, you know, years ago when Amherst was taking on its present size. And now to have the whites... <laughs> buying to get up on the hill where it's quiet it's peaceful the dickey park's here the hospital's up here the stores are up here pharmacies up here <laughs> so everything you need well in 2007 we did an exhibit and we called the sand hill new road to song and we said we're going to sand hill we're going there today we're going to sand hill let me show you the way because if you need an automobile if you need to go to the vet clinic if you die if you need to go to school if you want recreation and the splash pad and so on, it's all on Sand Hill. So we, we're living witnesses. We got to see the reverse of, uh, of the way of thinking, you know, from 120 years ago versus yes. today. And, and I think I told you on the phone the other day is that we are, myself and our business and our company is one of, uh, one of the people that did that. We bought... Um, one of the houses on East Pleasant Street across from Arbor Dickey School fit, fixed it up a bit, and then we built some apartments in in behind it on East Pleasant as well. So I'm, yeah, very much of the mind that it's a fantastic part of town. Well, it is, and I said, now I saw today that the property that you're speaking of, it's all, it's well-maintained, and the lawn was done again today. You keep the grass short, the people are happy, and it's, um, there's, there's nothing you could add to it. Yes. No, I appreciate that. I'll pass that on to every to everybody down our way. So if people want to learn more or they want to see the exhibit, how can they? Well, if they want to learn more, they can go online and they or they can 
take a walk on the trail. They can communicate with people in the community. Or if they want to see the exhibit, hopefully it will be at Ottawa House after COVID 2019. And Ottawa House is in Parisboro, right? That's uh, in Parisboro, yes. Yes. Well, that this is perfect. That's I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of kind of sad I missed it. Um, so, yeah, I have uh, I have a few more questions for you. If you have a if you have a few more minutes, if you if you yes, want to keep. Yes, I do. Okay, perfect. So I wonder how did you start creating exhibits and yeah, how did you start this? Well, in 1999, we saw a void in Cumberland County that there were a number of black artists and artisans that were very skilled and not showing the work. So the Black Artisan Society was founded and we had 19 people register uh, right from the gate. Now those people have gone on to do their own little um, clinics, workshops, studios, what have you. But that's where it really originated. And um, and the need to um, preserve our history, to protect it, and to promote it. And if we didn't do it, who would do it? Mm-hmm. And so then, I guess what. Uh, was there something or why did you specifically start doing this? Well, personally, I was always interested in genealogy. And my dad, long before he passed, I told him two things. We were, he would tell me lots of events and things about Sand Hill. So there is a publication, it's called Sand Hill and Cumberland County's Black History. And it's just a short read, but it's uh, compact, comprehensive. Uh, it's, uh, happy moments, sad moments, and truthful moments. Nothing's been whitewashed. So that's how I got started. And then we discovered that we were the descendants of the first black slave to pe- the first known black slave to PEI in Monaco. And when we did the research, we discovered who we were and that I was living in his granddaughter's house in Brookdale. Um, and we were able to do the complete research from 1785 to today. And, uh, and it's the first exhibit, Color Me Free, was launched at the Confederation Center of the Arts to commemorate the first, this first known slave. Now today he's buried in a government protected site. So our history is, um, it, it's a bit different than some of the things we see in the United States because this gentleman had favor. When he died, he had a hundred acres of land and flatware, cattle, uh, orchards, and the other resources, <laughs> and and he left his children very well positioned. So, um, it's it, there's a little interesting twist to the Black Lives Matter from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I didn't realize that connection in that history through Amherst all the way back to sort of the first free slave in PEI. Um, the first known. First known. And I always hmm. say that carefully. And uh, he came in with Captain Creed, 1785. And you asked, why did I start the uh, exhibit? Well, um, there was, I saw the need, first of all. And the second thing, I was challenged that I could not develop a 10-panel didactic exhibit showcasing generations of history of our roots. And uh, that's all I needed to tell me. I couldn't do it. And the rest is history. And that, tra- that exhibit has traveled far and wide, and it's still in circulation today. Do you know, do you know where it is now? Like if somebody wanted to see it? 
where it's in Brookdale right now at my place because the original exhibit uh, was at Kansas and they had a fire and it got burnt. But Mm -hmm. everything, all my work is all graphic designed and on uh, backed up on hard drives. So it can be printed on, yeah, it can be printed on demand anytime people need it. And some of the original paintings I still have of that particular exhibit. Ah. And so then how do you, how do you go about sharing the knowledge that you've learned? Oh, well, well, I'm, uh, after 20 years, we get invitations now. It's lovely. Uh, uh, so through word of mouth, the traveling exhibit, uh, sharing the artifacts in schools and at the museum, workshops, um, the library. Not so long ago in February and March, uh, we did something with the multicultural group from the YMCA. And I brought in like exhibit um, artifacts from the ex- exhibit and um, things from that my grandmother and her mother used, you know, like some of the utensils and so forth, um, a suitcase full of, <laughs> of interesting things. And um, the group found it quite interesting because it's new info for a lot of people. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I've learned a lot of things in, you know, in the 25 minutes and also pointed out lots of other things for me to keep learning about and, and get to understand and know, um, know some more about. So, um, if people want to support you in the work that you're doing in that capturing the history and the stories, how can they, how can they help? Well, they can help by attending events, uh, sharing information. They can walk, they can pray, they can do something, do something. That's why I tell people do something positive. <laughs> um, they can support the local museum. There's lots of information there. And I think, uh, Mr. Davis and John, uh, did an interview, and I know another lady did an interview. Kansas, they have some um, a, a CD reading the story, which tells about the black community. And people can educate themselves, and it's done in a way that we're not in their face. If they want to learn about black history, good. If they don't, that's, that's their prerogative. And that's my take on it. Like I said, 1970, we were front lines for, um, it was back then, it was called Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud. So we were quite excited. We were teenagers and had lots of energy. <laughs> and um, and see, there was in the fifties. There was places that blacks could not go in Amherst. They couldn't get their hair cut. They couldn't go in the Venus restaurant. Uh, just different venues. And by 1970, well, we just we didn't protest. We didn't march. We occupied. Mm-hmm. We would go in. We were quiet. We were respectful. We'd go in with our white friends, and we were treated well. And to this day, we go wherever we want in Amherst. Yeah. As you know, <laughs> I know it's you and I talked about that the other day and sort of, I mean, sort of before my time, but you know, the fifties, it's not that long ago. No, it's not. But I think the advent of TV has changed things because one, I think in 1959, we got our first little RCA TV. Yeah. And once you see what's going on in the world and people are informed, well, that changes things. And uh, technology has changed the way that people think. Hmm. Yeah. If you see somebody else doing it, you go, "Oh, it doesn't have to be this yeah. way here, too." Right. And that. Uh, and we, as we spoke uh, earlier um, last week or early part yeah, of this, this week, one of the, the name of that book. Yes, it was called um, "To Kill a Mockingbird," and that's one of the reasons why I continue to write. I said, "If if us as a black community, we have a responsibility to, and if we don't like what's in the curriculum being taught, then we need to change it." And as I mentioned to you, I have a textbook that belonged to 
um, Elmer Jones and that property, of course, which you people acquired two doors down. And in his textbook, I can show you, the only thing they taught was that blacks picked cotton and were from Africa and they were wild moly. Well, see, that's not accurate. But see, a lot of the people from Africa, especially the slaves that they handpicked, were skilled, skilled people, craftsmen, like they made jewelry and gold and diamonds and different things if you do the research of, of the true Africa. And so uh, when we see these communities being built, these weren't wild woolly people that the slave owners brought in. They brought in skilled laborers, and those girls could cook and sew, and you know, and even they would teach the children. The little black children would be um, house house workers at a very very early age and take care of the children. So, uh, as I said, they brought in skilled handpicked people, from what I can see. Yeah, and I think you can see that in your description about. People in Amherst in the Sand Hill tra- Trail area, you know, blacksmiths and skilled craftspeople and artists and musicians. Like you, you can see that sort of those skills being passed on through generations. Sure. And see the house, Edwin's house, that's the schoolhouse on East Pleasant Street. That was also um, a, a Saturday night, Friday night meeting place. And um, the thing is, it was known as the social. And they had a jukebox and they had live music and a box lunch all for 10 cents. And uh, that was before the days of uh, WW wrestling. Yep. <laughs> On any given night, you could see someone going out the window, I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, it's like the Wild West. But it's all good. And we just uh, continue doing our best, do our part. And mm-hmm. that's all we can yeah. do. But we do have a responsibility to be upright citizens and to declare what is proper and the rest we leave to the Lord. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I appreciate you. I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing sort of the history and in pointing this out and guiding people to where, you know, if they want to learn more, um, where they can go, what they can learn about. So as you said, um, if people are looking for more information, you'd said they could contact you if, if it's okay, I can share your email address in our show notes or people can get in touch with me and I can pass it on to you. Um, yes, and perhaps I'm, I'm a widow and I'm, uh, and I'm a senior, so perhaps the best way would be for if they want to contact you. I think that sure. would be advantageous at this yep. point. I did give you my email address. Yep. And the museum is uh, it's a splendid place for people to learn about local and regional history. And I, I really encourage them to contact Lisa Emery and um, see what, I don't know if they're open right at this present time. I'm not but, sure either. Um, but take advantage because it's, the museum is a wealth of information for the whole community. And I said, my next book, I'd like to go there and sit and write and write and write until the book is written. Because <laughs> the atmosphere is lovely. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. So uh, just before we wrap up, Darlene, do you have anything else you'd like to share or comment or or pass on well my final comments would be uh, to encourage the schools and the community at large to engage in meaningful conversation uh, not just around the trail and the exhibits but to learn more about our history and the benefits of connecting heritage to recreation and to other activities in the community and it creates a sense of total well-being 
I agree. So perfect. I think that's an excellent spot to wrap up today. So Darlene, thank you very much for coming on and sharing this. And I'm my my pleasure. Perfect. Very good. And thank you very much. I hope everybody out there enjoyed the interview with uh, Darlene Strong today. Thank you to Darlene for coming on. And I hope everybody was able to learn more about our community and our history. Uh, this is very important, for, I think, for us to know and understand right now at this time. Uh, again, if you enjoyed this show and if you are looking, want to hear more local content, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the episode. And I'll be back uh, next Monday with, an, with another episode. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you later.